This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 6th, episode 2010. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. And of course, this is our once a month driving episode here with Dr. Wendy Ying. And we have a jam, I mean, a lot of show for you today. We have a lot of guests. We're going to be talking about the World Equestrian Games with people from here and people from overseas. We're also going to be taking a look at a really cute pony that did wonderful things that you may have heard the name of if you've been listening to this show for a while. Uh, plus, Dr. Ying is going to help Jamie out today by talking about tendons and what you can do with gold, frankincense, and myrrh uh, <laughs> later on in the show. So we're going to find – you can do a lot with gold. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to find out more about that in the traditional Chinese medicine segment. But first, next week starts the World Equestrian Games, and Wendy is coming up uh, for driving, yeah. which is at the end of the World Equestrian Games, I think. It's the last couple days. And you're right. going to be up helping us with the coverage for the 2018 WEG show, right? Yes, I'm so excited. And we're going to be covering the driving, of course, and all the other activities that are going on. But uh, Wendy and I are just most excited about the driving because that's the most fun part for us. So we're going to be doing that. And uh, Samantha will be there and Jennifer will be there. And we'll be providing coverage every night of the World Equestrian Games starting on the 11th all the way through the 23rd. So look for that at 2018wegshow.com or search for 2018wegshow on your favorite podcast player. Or you can listen on our Horse Radio Network phone app at uh, just iOS or Android. Search for Horse Radio Network. All right. And they will be out every night by about 9, 930. Uh, we're we're going to do end-of-the-day wrap-up shows with interviews and commentary and uh, fun st- people we find along the way, whatever we can find. We're going we're gonna to bring it to you in our usual... We're going to enter- find lots of fun people. Yes, in our usual entertaining form. So it's not going to be boring, I guarantee you that. No. All right. Uh, let's talk about the team this year uh, that is competing for the United States. And, of course, we have Chester Weber, who's been number one in the world... Uh, off and on for years and years and years, and everybody's heard his name. He owns a little property of about 4,500 acres, about three miles from me uh, here in (laughs) Ocala, and he's been over-competing overseas and doing very well over there. He's coming into this on a kind of eye, coming to his home territory. Yeah, I mean, Chester's been our USA national champion 14 times, and, of course, uh, he's my favorite four-in-hand driver, And um, he got the silver at the last WEG in Normandy, so he's looking pretty strong. Very good. And, um, of course, Misty Miller is, uh, Misty Wrigley Miller is next up. 
Oh, yeah. Misdy's next. And uh, Misdy, well, I have to say, maybe it's a tie between Chester and Misdy because Misdy always looks so fabulous. I mean, she's such an incredible driver, but she also always is wearing like a fabulous hat when she does dressage. She's always looking good. And when I actually first started driving, I used to love to wear big hats. And people were like, you can't do that in combined driving. And I said, well, Missy wears fabulous hats. I'm going to wear fabulous hats. <laughs> and they're like, well, Missy doesn't do combined driving. Well, now Missy does combine driving. So and now. With force. You know, <laughs> tough. And you but, know what uh, shocked me Misty when I met does, her for the first time? What? Is how tiny she is. She's tiny. She's teeny. I yeah. Know. And she's out there with reins that weigh more than her. She is. <laughs> Well, because Misty's one of the biggest uh, saddlebred riders, trainers, owners in the country. And I, I think I, she's coming I, off I always a big thought that was there. an interesting combination, the saddlebreds and then the driving uh, horses and combined Yeah, driving. her driving horses probably seem really calm compared yeah, exactly. to the saddlebreds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. And then who's number three on the team? And then Jimmy Fairclough, who he is uh, – you know, Jimmy is, we always call him the king of cones. Jimmy's so good in cones, and Jimmy's been driving for a long time. I think the first four-in-hand I ever saw in competition was Jimmy driving a Gladstone way back in the day. And uh, he always has some really well-trained fit horses. He always does a great job. So it's a really strong team, I think. I think we're going to have a really good chance. And who was the alternate... Do we have one traveling alternate or not? For the fours, I think, well, that was one of the issues is that WEG said that we could only bring three. Yeah, that's right. But there is talk that they might bring some other people. Okay. So I don't know how that's worked out. Yeah, I don't know how it's worked out either, but we'll find out. And a lot of the horses are on the way right now. So, and arriving in Tryon as we speak. I think about 90 of the horses have arrived from overseas. Uh, they're expecting 600 to be flown in to the Greenville Airport. So I can't should, believe that. I know. It's it's something else. It's going to be fun. And, and apparently, uh, quarantine is on the property this year. They built a special facility for that so they didn't have to travel so that they could be on the property. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I often wonder why that wasn't the case anyway, but... I guess it depends on the country, but they made it. The Department of Agriculture made a special exception for that here. All Um, right, let's talk a little bit about another competition that went on overseas. All right, we have the Para Driving World Championships, and we had the Singles Driving World Championships, and they were both at the same show. So uh, in the past, we've had a lot of these uh, of our American drivers on. Uh, Most recently, we had Tracy Bowman, who was on the Para team. And the para team was made up of Diane uh, Kastama, Tracy Bowman, and Bob Giles. And they did a great job. They actually came, uh, their team came in fourth place. So the U.S. was fourth in the para team. And uh, I think Diane was driving a horse that she had not, that she'd only driven a couple times before the championships, as did Bob. So they were catch driving. And Tracy brought her own pony, Welsh cob pony from uh, California. So they all did a great job. And then um, for the USA singles team, they came in seventh out of a very tough field. And Nifty Hamilton was uh, she was the highest placed American, thirteenth place. And then we had um, Jacob Arnold, who's grown up on the driving radio show. He came in twenty fourth with um, a horse that 
Um, his name is Travis. I can never say his his show name, which is Umenko, I think. Um, but he Travis was driving that horse, and then Donna um, Crookston with her horse, Victor came in 26th place. So they actually did a pretty good job. Yeah, that's really good, actually, in Europe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there was just maybe a couple of, um, you know, one wrong move there, like one-tenth of a second can drop you so far in your placing on marathon. So they all did a super good job. And then congratulations to Team Canada. They only had two drivers, Kelly Bruder and Pierre Guillemette, who I have to say... I love Pierre. He's one of my favorite Canadian drivers. He was my, one of my fellow chariot drivers for the hunger games. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. So he, I bet he was fast on marathon and then a big congratulations to Kelly Bruder who came in ninth place overall. Very good. Well, congratulations to all of them. Okay. So now we're up to our Tremont training tip of the month. Welcome Katie. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Glenn. Well, it's great for you to be back with us on the driving radio show. And I can't wait to hear your training tip this month. Well, I was thinking we could start talking about, now we've talked about circles, we've talked about halting and being safe, and now I want to talk a little bit about having a buddy system so that we can all be really safe in what we do so we can enjoy driving. The buddy system? Like in the pool? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was thinking that too. (laughs) Well, we do like safety, and we should always be conscious of that, so it's always good Uh, We have a rule at our house, unless we're in the dressage ring, we never drive alone. And it's always good because it's not like when you go riding and have a saddle and a bridle and you can just change your, um, you know, bit or something breaks. You have a carriage and a horse. So you actually, it would be good. What happens when your curb chain pops off? You need someone there to help you. It car- driving is a much more social event, as you two know. Yeah, and you know, I won't, I won't drive the pony alone, and Jennifer doesn't drive the pony alone here either. We we won't do it unless there's somebody on the farm, anyway. At least there's somebody within that can see us. Uh, yes, and think about even just putting two, and you know, a lot of people have trouble getting on and off the carriage, or you know, the pony as we've discussed, doesn't always want to stand. So having somebody to be at the head or to help you out is always a good practice. We did, we did that with riding, actually, when we had our big boarding stables, is if there was nobody at the farm, you weren't allowed to ride alone. And that was pre-cell phone days, but, you know, and, still. Yeah, I mean, that's just safety. Yeah. You know, I know a person who, uh, she had a very, very safe pony, and she used to drive alone, and she, I think she got off, to fix something, you know, on her harness. And when she went to get back on her, she slipped and her foot got stuck somehow in the carriage and the pony, you know, heard the clanking and got scared and didn't like take off in a panic, but still dragged her pretty far. And she was telling me the story. I mean, it's just like, you know, when the guy pops out behind the tree, scares you. Well, the horse also. So Mm -hmm. just to have, somebody with you to help and that you know that also fine if you want to go driving and you have someone else so say you have two singles at least there are two people there that's you know true. so that's again the buddy system you could you could go out on a group drive or you could take someone with you but that's a very safety conscious way to do it so how can you uh what should you train your person that comes with you like say if they don't drive what are some tips you can give for your passenger 
Well, the one of the big things that I would, you know, pay attention to is your reins and your curb chain. So what are the things that are likely to have problems or come undone? And you don't know that this is going to happen, but you can prepare for it. Because mm-hmm. what do we do? We set ourselves up for success. Right. So, so I would say the tugs on the saddle, yeah, where the traces attach, and like the curb chain and the reins. And those are basic things that even a person that doesn't know a horse, if you show them where these things are, and then you're out driving and say your trace pops off, you can say, oh, my trace popped off. Can you get down and put that up? Mm-hmm. And they'll actually know where it is because you've given them four points that you can say, okay, if this happens, if this happens, because I guarantee they'll be more comfortable too, if they know what's going on. Yeah. It's hard to explain when you're in the heat of the situation. Yes. So whether you're pleasure showing or just happily driving down the road or combined driving, it's just a little bit of knowledge that will help a lot. What about when you're putting to like, where should your person that's helping you stand? I think they should stand directly in front of the horse. That's where a horse, you know, they know to stand when people are standing in front of them. It helps quiet them. It helps calm them. So, yes, stand in front of them. You can hold the reins a little without pulling back, but always the driver will be in charge of that. So they'll, if they know their animal, they'll say, well, you don't need to hold the reins if you just did. In front of him, he'll be perfect. Or hold the reins a little just until I get in the carriage. Mm-hmm. So again, the driver is the, the the boss, right? Something else, safety wise, while I'm thinking about it, is uh, we have a knife attached to the carriage that stays there the whole time, um, in case you, we have to cut harness parts. Things go horribly wrong, and we mm-hmm. have to cut parts, so we keep that. I think yeah. it was Doctor Wendy that talked to us about that early on, <laughs> and one with a hoof pick. Hoofpicks are always good. And another thing that I really like about the modern harness is all of our quick releases. You know, like nowadays we have a lot, if you're on a marathon carriage or a modern carriage, we use like snap shackles from sailing. So you can just pull the little, the tug to, to let it go. So if you can show those people like where your quick releases are, they can really help you with in that sense. Yes, a little understanding goes along. We've all seen those videos of the draft horse hitches that go horribly wrong, where they do end up cutting harness here and there because they can't even get to the quick releases. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it is important to just keep that in mind. Uh, One yeah. time I saw a pair. It was at the Devon Marathon. And, I mean, fine, the one horse started bucking a little bit. I think it got its leg over the pole. And I swear to you, not before... You know, there were already people, the horses were standing. Someone whipped out a knife that must have been so sharp, literally, this was Friedman Harness, directly through the trace without even a hitch, like it was butter. Yes. And oh cut all the traces. <laughs> I'd be afraid to carry a knife that sharp. The horses were standing. <laughs> oh, my God. But this person whipped out their knife so fast, and then, boom, the traces were cut. I would I, I would, be care- I would never. Him? I'd hurt myself. <laughs> Yes, yes. But I figure this this person must have been waiting their whole life to have this happen with their sharp knife so they can cut through someone's traces. That could be. That's funny. <laughs> Katie, can I ask you a quick question that we can end on yes. this training tip? 
Okay, I saw this video a long, long, long time ago. It was like on a VHS tape, and it was you uh-huh. at your sister at the Devon Marathon, and not at the marathon, at the cones, and you're both driving pairs of antique vehicles and driving cones like you drive cones with modern carriages. Do you remember that? I like crazy. Yes, yeah. I remember that. We were. I think we took Dad's coaching horses. And each of us took a pair. I want to say, I think we might have been first and second or, you yeah, know, we were if anyone definitely faster that, it with it. It would be insane. You guys were crazy. Yeah. So, I it, mean, it, what was that, it, it what was was that class? Scary. Just a Cones class? It, it was a, a pair scurry class. So you had to take antique carriages and the good harness. And then you had to try to go as fast as you could, even though those carriages are maybe not the best balance. It's not like a marathon carriage for sure. Yeah. So who got the wheelers and who got the leaders? Did you get the leaders because you're the oldest? I want to say I took the leaders and she took the wheelers. <laughs> but I won the class, but she got on the, the poster the next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to try to track down that video because Glenn, you should have seen it. The the wheels were like shaking in the dirt, and they're like they couldn't. You couldn't gallop, right? You could only trot. Uh, I think you are allowed to canter, but you know, like you said, the footing is so bad it chatters you side to side. Yeah. And in the in the old iron wheel carriages, it's a little. A little scary. It was crazy. It was like chuck wagon races, but they were in fabulous hats. These antique carriages. But the crowd loved it. So, I mean, I guess that's a bad way to end our safety segment, but I guess, (laughs) I guess that's we were safe. I had someone with me. That's true. (laughs) So you're both going to die together. So you wouldn't die alone. If you're going to do something incredibly crazy, just plan ahead for it. So it doesn't go horribly wrong. That's right. Yeah, Ask you your friends to go with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to next month's training tip. Okay. Talk to you later. Well, I'm super excited to kick off the show talking about one of my favorite driving ponies of all time. And that was little Kabam, Randy Cadwell's Palomino German riding pony. Uh, as our listeners know, he was a really fabulous single pony and a pair pony. And um, he went on to become a dressage riding pony for Eleanor Boning in uh, California. And so we have both Randy and uh, Anne and her daughter, Eleanor, to come talk about Kabam. So welcome, guys, to the show. Hey, Wendy. Thank you for having us. You know, Anne, it's so exciting. Uh stalking you on Facebook so I can see what you guys are doing with the pony. He is a very talented pony and my daughter is having an absolute blast with him. And uh, yes, he's, he's well-traveled now. We purchased him while we were living in Indiana and now he's enjoying the sunshine out here in sunny San Diego, California. Well, that's great. I mean, this pony was, is like a, such a lucky pony. He has all these fabulous people and now he gets to live in San Diego so, uh, but also could big congratulations are in order because you guys just, um, won the FEI U.S. Dressage Festival of Champions in the pony division, right? That's correct. Yes. So Eleanor was eight years old when we purchased Kabam 
and coming off of an extremely successful combined driving career. And we transitioned him to dressage. And I would say the first couple of years, he was fabulous. He was like her caretaker. And he mm-hmm. really took to Eleanor and, and watched over her and gave her confidence in the ring. And as she has aged over the last four years and their partnership has grown, he has stepped up and just developed such a bond with this kid that we are so fortunate to get to watch and see and, and do exciting things and fulfill her dreams. She knew yeah. right away when she purchased him at eight, she said, when she turns 11, it's the best birthday I've ever had because I'm FEI eligible. <laughs> so, and, and Kabam has been that partner that has brought her to that place. Now, Randy, um, tell us a little bit about your history with Kabam. Um, I got Kabam as a three-year-old after he um, was second at the Bundes Championship in Germany. And what's that? And then what's the Bundes Championship. It's the the young horse stallion test. Oh, so he was game. still a stallion when you bought him. Correct. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> and um, I proceeded to geld him. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, he went to a girl who rode my ponies for me and she taught him to ride and over in Holland and then Mm -hmm. he went to England and learned to drive and then he came back to Holland and then he um came to America (laughs) and he was a driving pony very successful we were fifth at the I don't know it was so long ago I can't remember but it was fun um (laughs) yes pony championship we were fifth but uh, he didn't want to drive anymore. He told me, he said, Mom, you love this. I'm not so in love with it. So then I started to look for a new home for him. And, of course, I could not have found the any better home for him than the one he has now. It, it went from my being my baby to being someone else's baby. And it's always what you wish for when you sell something that means that much to you on. Yeah. It, they wind up in a home like he's got you know, I think that's what so, I think yeah. is so great is that you really loved you. You love your ponies like they're like they're your pets, which is great, yes. which is what I do, too, you know, but um, yeah, it's my child. <laughs> yeah. And when I see uh, and when I see you and Eleanor with Kabam, you can see how he really loves you guys. I mean, he is in a home. Yes, he's a competition pony and your kid has big dreams, but he's not her motorcycle to take her places. It's a Never. very beautiful partnership. Yes. yes. And Kabam uh, has always chosen his people. He, he, he chose me when he was young and, and, you know, was very bonded to me. And I thought, God, this poor pony, I'm selling him on, you know, I'm, I'm ruining this, what we have. And, you know, it, it was really hard for me. And then, I saw a picture of him with Eleanor before she even rode him. And he was standing with yes. his head wrapped around her. And I just thought, oh, my God, he's picked someone. <laughs> and then they wound up getting him. So, Yeah, that's, that's very true. <laughs> and, and I love that, you know, Randy came out and we were able to meet them. And uh, she shared some of his background and training and, and doing some of the clicker things and they had this great partnership before, but I can even see now that Ella has had the opportunity to take some of the target uh, pr- play and, and practice and training, and she's done more of that with them. 
And I could see that even at Festival of Champions. And it's just so exciting for us and rewarding to us that Randy is still part of part of him and part of our family now. So it's it's more he's more than just a pony. He's definitely family. I have to ask you a yes. question. He was so um he was known for being so powerful and fast on marathon and in cones. So when you came with your little eight-year-old to ride him, I mean, weren't you like, were you a little scared that you put him on this powerhouse? <laughs> that, that scared would be an understatement. So uh, the agent that was selling Kabam, she looked at us as parents because my husband was with us and, and she said, I just want to warn you, I'm not sure she'll stay on when she goes to canter. <laughs> and my husband and I were looking at each other like, she's going to have to ride him because this is what her heart is set on. And she had seen him at a show and I'd seen him online for sale. And she kept saying, mom, this is my pony. This is the pony I want. And our eyes and heads were spinning. And I even sat on him and I thought, this is a lot of pony. And as <laughs> soon as she sat in that saddle, his whole personality melted. And I have loved that he has been willing to give her as much as she's willing and capable of handling. And he senses that. And that seems extremely odd to say that a, an animal knows how much their human can is capable of having. But he's that way. He's that sensitive. He's that thoughtful um, when she's on him. And I think now we're just starting to be able to see her riding skill level start to match his athletic ability. And mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what they will do in the future together because he is very talented. He's very athletic. And now the kid is finally growing some legs that he can move up to what he's capable of giving her. <laughs> I know it's pretty exciting. Well, let's talk to Eleanor and see what she thinks about her about fabulous Kabam. Fantastic! Here she is. Hello. Hi, Eleanor. Hey, I have to say you're the luckiest kid in the world. That's a beautiful Palomino pony you have. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, uh, what was it like at the dressage championships? It was honestly like a dream come true. Kabam was like so good he was so like listening he was just amazing <laughs> he was my them. so <laughs> he was the best pony that i could have asked for did you ever think the band does would... love to show <laughs> he does love to show he knows exactly what he's doing in a show ring <laughs> that's <Yeah>. true <laughs> did you feel like uh did you feel like when you we're looking for ponies. Did you ever think you'd be looking for a driving pony? Uh, I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind that I would be getting a combined driving pony. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I think it's really great that you had, uh, you know, a, a support system like Randy and Kitty to be getting this pony from. Have they been helping you along the way? They have. They've been like so amazing. They like keep me, like updated on everything that he knows he they just recently came out for a visit to see kabam and i learned that he loves to eat peaches and that he loves playing with a jolly ball oh really yeah yes <laughs> yeah he, he targets on those jolly ball from 
some of the target training. I taught her all about him doing that. <laughs> oh, so you helped her with the target training? Yes. I yes. told her because she had no idea he even did it. And so I went out and showed her and he did everything I asked him to do. You know, like going to targets and following her. And if she ran, he ran. And, you know, just he just did everything like, yay, we're playing games again. <laughs> Eleanor, how do you think that target training makes a difference with your partnership with Kabam? Yeah, it definitely helps to build our bond just because it kind of gives us something else to do um, other than writing. And it helped with our jog a lot because I had never <laughs> gotten through my jog last year because I didn't know what he was going to do. So yeah. this year I had a treat and then we kind of like made it into a game for him. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and we will be stalking you on Facebook regularly, so we can't wait to see what you're up to. We look forward to it. (laughs) All right, thanks. Bye! Well, now it's time for Dr. Wendy's traditional Chinese veterinary medicine update. What are we talking about this month? Today, we're talking about tendon and ligament injuries uh, because poor little Zeus has a tendon problem. That is true. <laughs> he does and we're have gonna a tendon hear about problem. That. <laughs> tendon and ligament injuries take a very long time to hear, heal. So we're going to be hearing about this for months. Well, yes, we will. And I saw an auditor had something come through. There's also that, is it the degenerative disease? What's it called? Um, yes, it's called degenerative uh, suspensory ligament desmitis. And what that is, that's a genetic defect in um, like the way horses make collagen to fix their tendons. And she had just found out that her horse had that. And it was kind of devastating. Yeah. That stinks. Yeah. All right. Well, let's but talk there's tendons. There's things you can then. do about it. Okay, so the tendons, you know, with the uh, Chinese medicine, we see everything is in the five-element theory, right? So the tendons are associated with the wood element and the liver organ. So um, we talked about, like, wood horses before in previous shows. But to remind you, the wood horse is athletic and strong. They're really bold. And sometimes a horse that's a wood horse, like you, when you're riding them, you can't even tell that they're tired or that they have a little bit of a ache or pain. So wood horses are more prone to have tendon damage. Also, spring is the season associated with the wood. And in springtime, what happens? We're coming off the winter, which if we're in Florida, that winter's our high season. But for the rest of the world, most of the times horses get uh, all winter off and then you're bringing them back in the spring. So they're a little bit out of shape. And then also you combine that with the mud and slippery footing. So that can, uh, those are stress factors to set you up for hurting your tendon. Uh, anybody that's walked on the beach for a long time in that deep sand, you know how it feels like on your tendons, walking in deep sand versus on hard ground. So the deep sand or the sticky mud is what can cause some tendon damage. So diagnosis of tendon damage in Eastern and Western medicine is the same, right? It's a 
bow tendon or uh, if you have a suspensory injury, you don't always have the big, huge bow, but you'll have pain, heat, and swelling in the tendon. Uh, in Chinese medicine, we see that uh, pain and swelling as a chi and blood stagnation, right? So that's not flowing. And then the underlying conditions that are that are associated with tendon damage is liver yin and liver blood deficiency. So remember the yin and the yang is like your balance inside, right? Your heat and your colds. And then the blood is like the blood that we think of in Western medicine, the blood that through, flows through your veins, but it's also like the liquid in your body. So in Chinese medicine, we feel like if your liver yin and your liver blood is deficient, your tendons and your ligaments are not getting enough nourishment and blood flow, and they're losing their elasticity. Um, did I lose you already, Glenn? Nope, I'm you, actually with you, you this time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, so... Sometimes with, uh, when I go over horses with my scan, you know, I have the acupuncture scan and I go and feel certain points. There are some points, uh, that will indicate that maybe I have a tendon issue brewing. So if you have an acupuncture, a veterinary acupuncturist, sometimes they'll say to you like, Hey, are you having any, you know, issues? And they might pick up the leg and feel the tendon to palpate it. So if there is, uh, some of those points that are, are sensitive and the, there's pain on palpation of the tendon, what we'll do is we'll ultrasound that to check. And sometimes you can detect minor tendon damage, uh, you know, with the scan and the palpation, uh, just like after, um, like a lot of the top horses in, um, doing eventing and show jumping, they'll come home from big competition and they'll have a, like a whole exam and they may get, uh, their tendons ultrasound ultrasounded because if we can stop tendon issues before it gets to be a huge problem, the recovery is so much less because the bad thing about hurting your tendon is it takes time. The bigger the hole in your tendon, the more time you have off. Um, so some of the TCVM principles we have for treating this, of course, is to get rid of the pain. So that's the chi and the blood stagnation. And then tonifying the liver, blood, and the yin so that we uh, set them up to have stronger tendons. So our acupuncture treatment, um, sometimes when I treat them, like I'll do a local treatment. I'll put needles around the bowed tendon. But then most of my other points are on the hind legs. And my clients are like, what are you doing back there? My horse's tendon is hurt in the front leg. Why are you spending all this time in the back leg? And that's because um, many of our points for tonifying blood and yin are in the back leg. And also the points associated with uh, the liver also are in the back leg because the liver meridian runs up the hind leg. Um, then another thing we do is herbal therapy. So we have topical formulas. Uh, my favorite is relief salve because you put that on and it increases the bl blood flow to the area and it reduces the pain and edema. There's all different kinds of topical tendon treatments and they all probably do about the same thing. You know, that you need to increase blood flow and you need to reduce the edema. 
Uh, one of the interesting things about Relief Salve is its two main ingredients are frankincense and myrrh. So remember, really? Glenn, from your from your um, yeah. Christmas story? Yeah, that's right. Huh. So wh- you're like, why did the wise men bring frankincense and myrrh to baby Jesus? Well, back in the day, those spices were highly valuable. And the reason why is because they used them medicinally. And so frankincense and myrrh are both resins from different trees, and um, you can use them topically to reduce swelling and pain. Uh, And then you can also use them orally for arthritis. And you know what um, is kind of interesting about frankincense is now they've kind of remarketed it, and it's called it's also known as Boswellia. Have you heard of Boswellia? No. Well, Jen has, because it's in every arthritis <laughs> supplement. And it's told as this kind of new thing, Boswellia. But actually, we've been using uh, Boswellia as the other name for frankincense. So it has been used as an arthritis treatment for many, many years. Um, another thing that we always do is do an herbal, an oral herbal supplement. And um, this herbal supplement I love, and its main ingredient is goji berries. So sometimes when people read the package of the Chinese herbs, my ingredient list, they look and it's all in Chinese names. And yes, I wish my father taught me how to speak Chinese because my life right now would be like way easier (laughs) if I could read Chinese. (laughs) Because the, the formula in Chinese is called bugan Chan Sing Jing San, which I'm means surprised he never did. By the way, well, he didn't speak Mandarin. Ah, okay, gotcha. So he thought he thought if I spoke Cantonese, nobody would understand what I was saying. <laughs> but that basically translates to tendon and ligament formula. So that's why we call it tendon and ligament formula. But the main ingredient is goji berries, which helps with the liver, yin. And uh, it also has Siberian ginseng in it. And Siberian ginseng is actually pretty cool. It's um, it, it's like ginseng. It gives you, uh, like, it boosts your chi. So it, it helps your immune system. It helps your strength. But recent research indicates that it works on your um, adrenal glands to help you not be so, um, like, reactive. So it moderates your fight or flight response, which when you have a horse on stall rest for a tendon, that can be really helpful. So to kind of calm them down a little bit. Um, And another thing it has in it is a mulberry twig, which, um, you know, and maybe that's why with the Chinese herbs, we put it in the Chinese names. I just told you, oh, it's goji berries and ginseng and mulberry twigs. You'd like... I'm not going to get that. That's not going right. to work. <laughs> right. But actually, um, the compounds in mulberry twig uh, have shown to have similar, um, uh, you know, similar action as NSAIDs. So they're COX-2 inhibitors. So that's like um, Prevacox or Equiox. They're, they're non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that reduce pain, but they spare the... Um, like butte has, it inhibits COX-2 and COX-1. And the reason that's bad for your tummy is because you need the COX-1 that produces mucus that protects your tummy. 
So our modern day NSAIDs only have COX-2 inhibitory action so that you have less chance of ulcers. And so the mulberry twig has the same activities as NSAIDs like that, our modern NSAIDs. So, um, uh, so then of course you want to, you have to do mandatory rest. We usually, when we do tendon issues, uh, we do it, it with integrative therapy. That's the part so, that Jamie's hating is this nine months rest. of rest. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's why she's going to need some Shencom or something, but integrative therapy is really the best because it's going to take a long time. You need to you know, give treatment to reduce the pain, but the pain will be gone, but the tendon will still be damaged. So serial ultrasounds are really the way to go. You know, I really recommend to my clients do not start back to work until the ultrasound is showing a healthy tendon because it's, it can be very fragile, even though the horse feels good, especially if it's a wood horse, you know, the tendon is like a very delicate string. So rest is really the best uh, option. And good thing for Jamie, she has multiple horses. If you just have one horse, then sometimes I recommend you lease one for the time your horse is on tendon. Yeah, because it drives you nuts, uh, right? Uh, and then yeah. you, you tend to want to rush it if, if you don't have another option. And I have a little food therapy suggestions too that you can do. Uh, so goji berries are in the herbal formula, but you can buy dried goji berries online or at any health store. So a quarter cup of goji berries is really a great food therapy because it also, it supports the yin and the blood, but also supports the jing, which is their life force. And then spirulina, which is algae, you can find that anywhere. That is a really good addition to your horse's um, tendon uh, routine. It's high in protein. And it also uh, will really help with your, it tonifies your liver. Uh, and it will help with stagnation because they're going to get liver cheese stagnation when they're stuck in their stall. And then two of the best liver, one of, this one tonifies liver yin is apples and carrots tonify liver blood. So it's not all bad news when your horse has a tendon injury because he has to eat apples and carrots every day. <laughs> well, Scooter would like that. I'm sure Zeus will too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. There's uh, all you want to know about tendons and what to give them and uh, what you can do as far as the Chinese traditional medicine. And Jamie, uh, I know that you're going to listen to this because we're going to make you. So now you know. Go out and find some frankincense and myrrh. Well, in our monthly segment on called Carriages 101, we have Kathleen with us from the Carriage Association of America. She's back. And what are we talking about this month? Today, we are talking about the buggy, which was the most popular carriage ever built. Really? I didn't know yes. that. All right. Well, let's talk about, you know, I know a little bit about buggies because I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and there were a <laughs> lot of Amish buggies, a lot of them. So what is the difference between a buggy and a carriage? So they really came about in 1796 is when we first start using the term uh, buggy, and that was a slang term for a phaeton. Um, and, but basically in the United States, they are a lightweight four-wheel vehicle um, and there's some slight differences, mainly in the number of passengers that you carry. A fayette, or excuse me, a buggy should only be for one or two people. 
later in the history of the buggy, we did begin to put more and more people in. But typically speaking, like a doctor's buggy is just for one or two people. I don't know. I've seen some Amish buggies with 12 people. So uh, they do put more in now. So Uh, (laughs) part of that becomes what the maker calls it. Okay. um, Because a buggy in itself should uh, be a, a short vehicle, a sporting type vehicle which it has evolved into something that's not quite the same. Got it. So so it's size and and it, length? Yes. Okay. So the um particularly when you get into a, a buggy versus a wagon and a phaeton, um a wagon has a lot longer by, bed of the uh vehicle so you could carry more things. Um in a phaeton we're a little bit more fancy. Um, and so there was, there's these subtle differences that, uh, which is results in a lot of people calling things buggies that really aren't. Um, and that happens a lot with Surrey's and, and a lot of times anybody that has a vehicle that was their grandparents, that's what they call it is a buggy. Um, uh, and as camp par- carriage manufacturers changed over the, the history, um, so too did the look of the buggy, uh, by 1900, they were mass produced. Uh, and we have everything from an, a boat buggy, which was produced in um, 1859, which was amphibious, to um, the coal box buggies and the doctor buggies, which we all know. So there, there's a lot of different looks to them. Uh, so you really have to get down into what the actual carriage manufacturer called them. I want an amphibious buggy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking that up to see if I can find a picture. <laughs> I think that's perfect for me down here in South Florida. Yeah, that'd be perfect. I'm not sure your they horses would like it. Of, but <laughs> yeah, They came out of Providence, Rhode Island, and they were a small boat equipped with four wheels. And when used in the water, the front wheels were detached and the back wheels uh, became the paddles and you worked them with a hand crank. No way. That's so <laughs> awesome. I That's a that bizarre creature that. right there. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't find a lot of those out oh. and about. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're much really more likely to find a, a coal box or a piano box uh, buggy. Uh, and those are the ones that you you typically see and, and you think, oh, that's a buggy. Uh, they were, and believe it or not, the uh, coal box buggy was originally made by uh, Brewster and Company, which was the the carriage maker at the time, they called it a, a buggy, a gentleman's wagon. And that's why they can go back and forth between whether it was a buggy or a wagon. It kind mm-hmm. of depends on what the manufacturer called it. And then as a result, uh, they went to what was called the coal box body, which was a, a very, it looked like a coal box realistically for, for a uh, brochure. And, uh, but they didn't stay. They were only in until 1874. But most people, when they see one, that's what they think of as a buggy. Yeah, and and they tended to have large wheels too, didn't they? And the wheels from from what I've seen in pictures and stuff uh, were the same size in the front and the back. And they weren't cut under. These things must have been tricky on tight turns. <laughs> so that's actually one of the things we want to talk about when we talk about safety on these. Generally speaking, the wheels in the front are pretty close to the wheels in the back. Um, for example, there was a coal box buggy that um, had wheels 45 inches in the front, 49 in the back. 
but they do, they're not cut under. And when you say cut under, that means that when you take a turn, the body of the vehicle gets out of the way of the wheels. Then and the vehicle's actually cut under the wheel cuts under the vehicle. So on these, on the side of them, they have these little rollers. And you really want to make sure that the little roller works because if you go to take a turn and there's not a roller, it hits the side of your vehicle. Mm -hmm. And A, your wheel will skid along your vehicle and damage the paint. But B, it can uh, break a wheel. And um, so that's one of the things that you want to look for as a safety feature is to make sure that there's some way for that wheel to keep turning when you take a turn. Um, whether it be the rollers on the side, whether, well, buggies are not typically cut unders, but you need to make sure there's some type of safety feature there. Did they typically, because they were so lightweight, have brakes? Well, (laughs) depends on who made it. Uh, But typically they did not. Uh, They were meant to go fast on a fairly straight uh, road, but I'm sure that there were vehicles made with brakes because if you're in Pennsylvania or out west in some of those places you you need a little help going down the the hill and uh it didn't really make a difference what your economic situation was it was very common for somebody to have a buggy uh so they made very fancy ones they made very plain ones uh they ranged in price from all the way down to $25 and so the more things that you put on them just like a car today the higher the price went but I'm sure that if you wanted to, you could definitely buy a brakes on your vehicle. Hmm. Have you ever driven many buggies, Wendy? I had driven a couple when I first started driving. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't like to drive non-cut under vehicles because for me, I'm nervous when I can't turn, especially with our roads nowadays. Like if you don't have a cut under vehicle and you need to turn, if you're on the road, that can be difficult. You need to plan ahead. So these do not corner. Well, (laughs) (laughs) no, they don't corner. Well, so, I mean, for pleasure shows, they'd be great. You know, uh, or if you're going someplace in a controlled environment, but I, I guess Kathleen, you probably see this too. Like a lot of people find these buggies, like you say, in their grandparents' barn or they see it on, you know, Craigslist and they think, oh, what a great deal. But it's not cut under or it's like not really suitable. And then they try to break their horse to drive with it. And that can be really dangerous. Cause right. You, not it's not a, a vehicle that you start out with, uh, with a horse. Um, again, you want to go back and make sure it has the rollers or a way to um, turn. You see them a lot in parades, um, particularly mm-hmm. historical parades. Uh, but they're a vehicle. I mean, they were mass produced, so there, there's a lot of them out there. And uh, you just have to make sure that the horse that you're driving is a driving horse uh, before you hitch to it. Did they ever make any buggies that you could do a pair or were they all single vehicles? They were primarily single vehicles. Um, and because the idea was that they would be very light and fast uh, to get someplace, uh, one person, two people. Uh, was originally what they were made for. And that's part of the thing with the doctor's buggy is it's one person. So the doctor would put his self in the vehicle and his bag, and there was no room for him to pick up passengers or carry something out from town or whatever. So mm-hmm. the doctor could was not obligated to take you into town or bring something from the, um, 
from the store out to you, he could travel quickly to get to his patient and then move on without having to make other stops. And he wasn't the ambulance, uh, so... We had to call Correct. a different vehicle for that, I guess. Uh, the, That's yeah. probably the why they did it. They're like, sorry, I'm too busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't call have the room. Buckboard. I don't have room. <laughs> Get the draft right. horse out. <laughs> and we got a little, conf- I'm not going to say confused. We, we had to do some more research because we not only found Dr. Buggies, but then we found physician Phaetons. So they're all in the same family, but we were like, well, what's the difference between a doctor's buggy and a physician's Phaeton? And really, one is more city. Uh, it's a little bit fancier. You could put a little bit more stuff in it. Uh, and it was just a little bit more elegant. So uh, those both exist. And they, even though technically they're in the same family, you will see the different names. And the Phaeton almost always has a top on it, whereas a doctor's buggy doesn't have to have a top. So if you got the Phaeton doctor, he was more expensive. Yeah, basically. that was like the plastic more. surgeons. Yeah, exactly. Yes, the LA plastic <laughs> surgeons Porsche. Yeah, that's, what, that's why he's called a physician and yeah. not a doctor. Yeah, right. Yeah. He actually they, had something that looked like medicine and not herbal, just you know, <laughs> not not uh, bottles of juice in his. Uh. So and the special top that was on yeah. those uh, was actually named after a physician here in Kentucky. He came out of Louisville. Kentucky, but he had a special top made, and that was part of what made them a physician's vehicle. Um, It has uh, uh, the ability to see out the sides. Yeah. Uh, It has more windows than a a normal top. So I have a question for you. What if somebody finds this cool old buggy and they want to restore it? Can they contact the CAA for some advice? Because you know, a lot of times the top is like not the original top and they don't know what this buggy was supposed to look like. Right. We do have some tips on top restoration via our website. Uh, mm-hmm. We also offer a book on uh, carriage restoration. And there are books specifically on the uh, tops that go on different vehicles. Um, the biggest thing that you're looking for on these type of vehicles when you go to, to restore them, other than obviously the paint, is um, looking for wood rot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vehicles that are back then, <laughs> people were lighter than they are now. And some of them have very, are, because they were a sporty vehicle, they have hickory wood, which was a very light wood. And it was, was hardy, but it was light. And you have to make sure the floorboards will hold um, the current American weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, that you won't go through the the, the bottom. Uh, so <laughs> that is the uh, biggest complaint that I've heard other than the wheels. Um, and we talked last time about how to check the wheel uh, to make sure if you need to restore those. Uh, and you just want to see how much play is you wiggle the wheel. You don't you want to it's OK to have just a little bit of play there, but you don't want to have a lot. If you have a lot of play in your wheels, then you need to restore them. We do have books on restoring wheels. Um, we have it on everything from. If you want to actually make your own wheels, to we have uh, a list of providers on our website where you can buy wheels. Now, guys, let me ask you, because I actually did a little homework. I know, shocking. Um, <laughs> so what other th- thing do you think of when you think of carriage and buggy? Horse? Mm, nope. Shafts? Nope. Wendy? You never Hermes? had any, Wendy. You never, you never had any. 
You think of baby carriages and baby buggies, right? Oh, yeah, I do not think of that. So the baby carriage, this is interesting. The baby carriage was invented by an English architect, William Kent, in 1733. They were apparently pretty heavy, and they got the nickname Pram for short. I think they still call them Prams in England. Um, But they they were so heavy and so hard to push around that uh, they changed the design in the only in the 1970s were they starting to be called strollers or buggies because they were made much lighter. So Hmm. up until that point, you had you had much heavier carriages, and they were called baby carriages, and not till the 70s were they called baby buggies. So there you go. There's my <laughs> little bit of history for you. But what a correlation. Carriages and buggies, right? Yes. Same thing. That's well, true. And it's really interesting to me. I, I'm really into the history side of it. You can really follow history from day one to current times through the, the vehicles, the carriages, and how we make them and what it was available then and how the wheels were done and, and all the changes. And uh, it's just incredibly interesting uh, to some people. <laughs> Um, how, how that can happen. And, and uh, I don't know, I think it's, it's quite interesting, but, uh, and then you talk about like going up to auction this weekend is, uh, one of president McKinley's vehicles and, and there's an original Albert and Downing stagecoach. You just don't see those every day, but there's just such an interesting slice of our history. Where is that at? Where's that going? That's going to be at the, uh, Carl Casper sale in Auburn, Indiana. Uh, that's Friday night. I believe it starts at 7, could be 7.30. I would double check. Uh, what else Martin's do they have? Do they have any other really interesting? Uh... They have a police wagon that's going up for sale, uh, which there's just not a lot of those out there. Um, and they have uh, several other uh, very, they're interesting. They're, they're slices of history uh, vehicles. Carl, um he was in is is into cars very much into cars but he likes to keep transportation vehicles in their original condition if he can and so that's what makes some of these vehicles uh really interesting he's kept them uh in working condition as much as possible but they're in original condition oh so he hasn't restored them then he he has restored a few um over the years he's won the um carriage showcase awards multiple times he's been featured on the covers of the magazines quite a few times but the vast majority of them he he does restoration just enough to conserve them and uh those are rare finds very cool well thank you so much we're gonna we're gonna put some pictures in our show notes but if people want to go to your website where do they go caaonline.com is our main website. com. Well, thank you, Kathleen, for stopping by for another Carriage 101. Thank you. If you are a driver and not a member of the American Driving Society, you are missing out. The benefits of membership are amazing, including a subscription to their glossy magazine, The Whip, featuring all the latest news and feature articles for the sport of carriage driving. And you'll get the digital newsletter, The Wheel Horse, delivered right to your email. Not a competitor? Then the ADS membership will give you online access to the ADS Trail Guide, a state-by-state guide for recreational drivers. If you are a pleasure or CDE competitor, 
then access to the omnibus of upcoming carriage competitions is a must-have. You'll also be eligible for their recognition programs, including the ADS Youth Championships, the Hours to Drive, along with the all-new ADS Driven Dressage Awards. Plus, eligibility to participate in the North American CDE Intermediate Calculated Championships and the North American Intermediate and Preliminary Championships. You can find it all at AmericanDrivingSociety.org. That's AmericanDrivingSociety.org to get your membership today. Well, I am so happy we have Mark Johnson, who is the chairman of the American Driving Society's um, Combined Driving Committee, joining us today. And he's going to tell us all about the North American Championships. So welcome, Mark, to the Driving Radio Show. Hey there. Now, tell us a little bit about this program, the North American Driving Championships. The North American Driving Championships was created by the American Driving Society to offer something to the membership uh, below Advanced or FEI. Obviously, USEF has uh, the national championships, and before this year, uh, USEF didn't have a championship for prelim and intermediate. They now mm-hmm. do that. However, uh, we put together some pretty bulletproof ideas in the criteria so that the North American Championship is really a driver's championship and in that the upper-level drivers are not eligible to enter unless they have uh, retired from upper-level driving for um, a number of years. Mm-hmm. So, so it's um, like you have, and it's for prelim and intermediate drivers. So, if, if the prelim championships, right. you can't have driven in above prelim for a certain number of shows. You you may drive once above the level, mm-hmm. and that that um, it, it's pretty specific what you you can and can't do. But the horses can be seasoned horses. So there's no criteria for horses, right? No, no, it is, it is only a, a driver's championship. And of course, Yusef has, has pretty much centered all their programs around the actual animal. Mm-hmm. So yeah. their championships are open. Yeah. So that should a, a, an upper level driver have a, a prelim or intermediate course that they want to show for uh, a client. Right. Unlike the, the North American Championships, you're pretty locked down. So that's but great. That that's gives us an opportunity and, for horses and people. Yeah, and and the actual the actual championships then um, are different. So they they can um, they can go side by side and still right. be productive. And then also for us, for North American championships, that also includes the Canadians. So the Canadians can compete there because they're That's members correct, of the... Canada is very much a part of the American Driving Society. Right. So that's great. And last year, uh, Bromont hosted the Intermediate Championship. And where are the championships this year? Are they always at the same place or do they go around to different shows? We work pretty hard with the... Um, 
combined driving committee with along with um, the event standards committee to we we try our best to look at the bids and move the championships around from region to region mm-hmm. as best we can. Sometimes it doesn't work, um, but we've we've been pretty pretty good at it so far. And um, so this where year we we just com- yeah, it would be fun. Go ahead. We just uh, we just completed uh, the prelim championship at uh, GMHA. Oh, great! I love that showgrounds. It's so beautiful there. That's in Vermont, right? It, right. It had been scheduled to be at Hickory Knoll out in Wisconsin, but uh, that. that left it impossible for them to, to actually have the feed Right. Um, and, and also, um, unfortunately, um, John Freiberger's neighbor, who was a partner in producing the CDE, passed away. So um, oh. we had to move the championships and GMHA uh, very kindly offered their venue. Mm-hmm. That's great. And uh, is the Intermediate Championship there too, or is that at a different the location? Inter- the Intermediate Championship will return to Katie did. When, in South Carolina? In South Carolina, that's yeah. the beginning of November. Oh, great. And, um, and we also look pretty carefully, you know, what populations are there um, when we decide which venue to... to um, award the, the championship to. For instance, GMAJ had the largest uh, prelim entry of all the bidders uh, for the replacement championship. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up with, I think, 18 in the actual championship. Um, and they oh, had that's great. The same number, they had the same number of prelims not entered in the championship. Oh, great. So they ran two classes with 18 entries each? That's a big yeah. driving show. Yeah, yeah, it was. They, they, they had um, 70, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, they, they had a record entry, and it was, it was somewhat uh, due to holding the championship, so that was great for them. That's great. And uh, they can compete in all different um, classes, right? So there's single pony, single horse, pair, but they're not all together in one class. No, no, no. It's all, all by class. And, and we had a uh, single horse, uh, single pony, single small pony, single VSE, and pair pony. Oh, you do VSE too? That's great. Yes, yes. They actually made their debut at GMHA. Oh, that's fantastic. And I hope the course is, wasn't too hilly for them. part of the criteria. We actually <laughs> do not have a separate championship for the VSEs, which had been done in the past. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. They have their own championships. So so they all get to participate in the, in the same show, which I think is, is important. That's good. 
Well, of course, Mark is here uh, for American Driving Society. American Driving Society has been a sponsor of our show since it started six years ago. You can visit American Driving Society at americandrivingsociety.org. And if you're a driver, you should have a membership, period. There's no question. You should just have a membership. Um, And you definitely want to have a membership just for the magazine that comes out every quarter. (laughs) <laughs> now, Mark, I know we're, we're limited about what we can talk about about the World of Question Games, but I know you're on the grounds right now as we speak. We're about a week before the games start, about two weeks before we start uh, driving. I know, I, I know this, so I can say it, um, that, the, that the marathon course is looking pretty good. You guys w- really were one of the first ones to get a handle on, on their section of the competition. Uh, are you feeling good about it? Yes, we we did uh, actually finish the, the building of the permanent obstacles in December. Uh, so so everything's had enough time for for the the dirt to settle and and uh, the painters have been in and, and so we really look like like a million dollars. You know, it, it, I, uh, I may or may not have seen pictures, and uh, I am so excited. <laughs> I am so excited. And you guys have not had an easy spring. It's been raining like hell up there, so it's it, not been an easy it, spring weather-wise. It's been pretty, hor- it's been pretty horrible. It was, it was very difficult uh, before the test event, uh, but they've, they've, they've had quite a bit of weather. Um, fortunately, we finished before all the weather, um, only just. We were actually building in a snowstorm in December. <laughs> um, but, but we did persevere, and we got it done, and we got out. So that was that was our, our plan, and it worked. Um, so, so now um, it's pretty much like every other show getting ready. Uh, I've been down for a few days. Um, taking care of the, the little details that are above and beyond what we do at a normal CDE. Um, now we have to worry about TV cameras and um, a different type of scoring, scoring done by Longines. And so they actually have a score present at every obstacle. And just just preparing for the logistics and and knowing where where the actual entrance and exit to the obstacle will be, and uh, do you do you flag them at the last minute or are they flagged uh, well ahead? These will be done um, after eventing is finished. Oh, I was gonna. I was wondering about that because you're kind of using the same track sort of as eventing, aren't you? Yes, we are. Yeah, and yes, by the are. way, everybody, that's an old golf course. So for all of you that fan- have fantasized about riding down <laughs> a golf course and over the greens, that's exactly what they're doing. Um, oh, good. Did they keep yeah, the sand traps? There's signs, <laughs> signs up everywhere threatening everybody to, to not drive on the grass. <laughs> did, they, did, they keep, did they keep the sand traps uh, and things around? No, um, that, it doesn't really resemble a golf course anymore. How about spectators? I, I, I'm trying to ask questions. I know you're allowed to answer. Um, so spectators, <laughs> are, is viewing for the spectators going to be good, the way the hills are laid out and everything? Is there going to be good sight lines for viewing? There will. Uh, 
Richard Nichols obviously is probably the most senior course designer in the FBI. Uh, and he's been concerned uh, throughout his whole concept that, that uh, they can be well-viewed. Certainly over the years, we've seen many obstacles that are really nice, but nobody could see them. Right. So, so uh, his experience uh, definitely safeguards different different design qualities that that make them spectator friendly, as well as, as good for the competitor. Now, Mark, as a course designer, you're, this is a course you're designing for just four in hands, whereas most shows you have to think about, you know, everything from single minis all the way to four in hands. And also you're at a championship. So how does that affect how your, um, your thoughts on the course? Well, certainly dimensionally, we need to be able to get a four in hand through. Um, we don't have to worry about... Uh, where the single ponies and the BSEs and stuff would go. Uh, mm -hmm. There is only one, there really is only one measurement. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the, the, the only obstacle that, that would be that much different than uh, anywhere else would be how we set portables, and there are two portable obstacles on this course. And what do you mean by portables? Well, they're, 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 not, they're not buried in the ground. These mm -hmm. are, well, actually, there's, I guess, technically, there's, there's three obstacles that are significantly built with portable elements. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're, they're still all, heavy. Like, you could just move it with your, you couldn't just pick it up. Yeah. And it's, it's not like the flimsy ones we might use in, like, uh, derby driving. They're like pretty solid. No, every, every single piece needs a very strong tractor to pick up. Mm -hmm. And then, and then um, there's anchors and weights involved. Uh, you can just envisage the inertia of a forehand hand 1,250-pound right. 12, horses you strap four of them together um, to a steel carriage, and they touch something, that, that's enough torque to snap a post right off, let yeah. alone what they do to a, a, something that's not fixed to the ground. So uh, we're, we're learning slowly what makes good weight. You know, um, and what else excites me about this particular thing in that you're building up there is we're going to have this for future shows so i assume that that we might see a ongoing show there every year i would hope with all the facilities that are now being built i think so i think so we, we certainly uh made made uh, some decisions that that uh would uh hopefully invite a future um, so as long as as long as everybody does a good job and Tryon's happy with us, uh, I don't see why not. Well, good. It's we need another here. venue like that. Actually, is it hilly? Can you say? Can you answer that? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is the mountains of North Carolina. So there we go. <laughs> it's very 
you broke up on us. What was that? <laughs> I think we've lost him. Damn. Well, I think he said something he wasn't supposed to, and he got cut off. <laughs> well, that I, well, we're going to have to wrap it up him. there anyway. So, Mark, thank you for joining us. I'm sorry about that. That he got cut off there. Um, but uh, so there we go. There's your your early report. I'm getting more and more excited now that I'm hearing about it. I'm just disappointed that yeah. driving's last. I just wanted to be first. Well, I wanted to be first too, but you know what? I lived next to some three-day eventers when I lived in Virginia, and they used to be like, you know, you better be careful driving your carriages with your horse's big feet in our gallop track. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly why. And I didn't think my horse's feet were so big. But they you, were dainty. And then you got your carriage wheels, and you just destroy everything, Wendy. And we were having entirely too much fun drinking <laughs> champagne and giggling. That's right. Well, we're getting ready for WEG. It's coming up soon. And we need to find out who's coming from Europe. So we have with us Sonia Scharf, and she's a photographer uh, in Germany. And you may have seen her photos on HoofNet and uh, on Facebook. She's a world traveler and she knows all the Europeans over there. So Sonia, welcome to the driving radio show. Hello, Wendy. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me to that great show. And let's see what I can tell you. So I'm well, curious about the questions and the things we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've had a lot of the drivers on for the WEG, and, uh, you know, all of our listeners know the Americans, and we have had Bram on numerous times. He was our correspondent for a while, um, mm -hmm. but we thought maybe you could tell us about some of the other drivers that are coming over. Who's on the German team? Um, on the German team, I suppose there will be Mareike Haaren. Mm -hmm. And um, it's um, the only woman in Germany, but she's driving quite good. She always does a very good dressage and uh, yeah. good uh, obstacle driving, good cones. And there will be Georg von Stein yeah. and Christoph Sandmann, I suppose. What do you think about the courses? Um because you've been to the United States and seen some of the courses, like I know you've come to Live Oak and seen that course. Mm -hmm. How what what are your courses like there in Europe as as compared to the United States? The truth is that I only know the international course and I know Live Oak. So mm -hmm. and this is you can compare it to the European ones, I think. And in in Europe, there are some really difficult courses. It's really sometimes it's very hard. Uh, um, to to go and to drive there. Um, um, I have been to Dona Eschingen. Yeah, well, there was Dona Eschingen, uh, Dona Eschingen in the south of Germany as well, just a few mm -hmm. weeks ago, yeah. the German championship. And um, it's really hard. It's a really hard course. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's not just an easygoing thing uh, when you go there. So, But I think life, all, you can compare it to some of the... European courses, too. Mm -hmm. but it's the only international competition in the States I know. I haven't yeah. been to any other. And so um, and I'm, I'm not sure there are so many others, so it's a bit difficult, I think. Yeah. And um, so you must be taking lots of pictures of Boyd when he's on course, huh? Boyd Excel? 
Yes. <laughs> what do you yes. think of Boyd's driving this year? He's on fire this year, huh? He is on fire this year, but he also has been on fire last year, and um, uh, it's Boyd, you know, it's Boyd Axel. So mm -hmm. he comes and he starts and he wins. <laughs> so, this year he didn't win in Aachen, but uh, he had a broken leg. <laughs> right, it right. It was a little bit difficult for him, yeah. Is it still going to be broken, he, or has he fixed it? Uh. Um, he broke his ankle, as I, I know. I assume the cast had, is um, off now. And we're... He had it fixed for Aachen, and it was, it was just, he broke it about two or three weeks before Aachen. Yeah. And uh, he had it fixed, and he got his carriage specially fixed, uh, his dressage carriage, his marathon carriage. They all both had a special thing for his foot to, to, to put his foot on. So he did, um, he did drive dressage marathon and, and cones like he wouldn't have had a broken ankle. It was, was quite good. But still, I, I can imagine in the marathon where you have to really to get your foot to the carriage and to stay in the seat and everything, and it's really fast and, and turning around. It wasn't easy for him, I think. I know. With the broken ankle. And uh, so, so, it, but, so um, Boyd's one of your top I'm, ones. And then what about Chester's been yeah. driving pretty good too? Chester Weber, huh? Uh, Chester, too, yes. Chester is always very good in dressage. Mm -hmm. And um, also in cones and marathon. Yeah, you know, on with the competition, there's always a little bit of luck as well. So you have right. to be lucky too. It's not just uh, because so many things can happen you don't know before. Yeah, and um, I think Boyd is at the top because he's really, his, his dressage is like from another continent or something from another <laughs> world <laughs> yeah it really if you watch it if you watch it live you just your mouth gets open and stays open and you think wow what did yeah. i see and it's it, and the whole team it's like one one word it's one confirmation it's really very special and just yeah. this team also it's a very very beautiful good team it's a very good confirmation and yeah. um yeah Let's see what what would happen. What do you think about um, uh, Bram and Eastbrand? Um, I think both of them are very strong, and they have very good chances. Yeah, it's exciting yeah. a father yeah. and son going to World Equestrian Games, isn't it? Yes, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Bram was, uh, I think, in Aachen, he was. Um, better than I spent in the dressage, but mm -hmm. at the end I spent one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they're both very strong, and I think you have to count with I spent or Bram. Both yeah. of them can be very, very strong and good. Yeah. And then you have Coast Durand also on that Dutch team. That's a that's going to be a tough mm -hmm. one. Like team wise uh, for the national team, I would say Netherlands is. It's very strong, yeah, because mm -hmm. they they just have three very good drivers. Uh, yeah, I think they they will be at the top. Uh, the Who top else three, do you think? That, that's for that's for sure. 
Yeah. Who else do you think for teams, like what countries do you think have a good chance? I, I would say Belgium. Belgium has mm-hmm. also a very good team. Mm-hmm. With Glenn Gerd and uh, Eduard Simonet. Mm-hmm. And also Dries the Greek will go, I think. And um, Eduard Simonet is always very good in dressage. He has wonderful Arabo Friesisch, I think. Yeah. Oh. And a beautiful team of horses. Yeah. And um, also Dries the Greek has a very, very nice team. Uh, I think for the for the team, the national teams, Belgium will be also very important, and um, you have to put Belgium on the list as well. well I think we're going to have to wrap up this segment, and we're all going to see what happens. I want to remind everybody, we do the 2018 WEG show. We're the only podcast going to be there broadcasting a end-of-the-day wrap-up show every day during the World Equestrian Games. Wendy is coming up to help us with the driving coverage and get some interviews for us and things like that. So you'll be there for the daily wrap-up shows, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's um, going to be a lot of fun. So we uh, we look forward to having everybody uh, follow that. It's 2018wegshow.com or 2018wegshow on your favorite podcast players. Well, thanks for joining us, Sonia. Thank you for inviting me, Wendy. All <laughs> have right. a good time. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. Right, bye-bye. Everybody. Well, that was a lot of show, Wendy. <laughs> a lot of well, show. Well, when you cram it into once a month, that's what you're going to get. A lot of show. <laughs> well, we appreciate you uh, staying with us uh, for this driving segment or episode that we do once a month here. That The next one we're going to find is going to be a little bit of talk about driving during the World Equestrian Games. And Wendy's going to be there. So be you want to head over to 2018wegshow.com or find 2018wegshow in your favorite podcast player. And we'll be doing daily wrap up shows it's going to be a lot of fun and we look forward to that the show should be out by about 9 nine thirty every night if all goes well um and i think after hearing mark all is going to go well it's going to be perfect so tomorrow we will have a show for you uh, i won't be here because i am off at a conference in orlando but uh my fill-in will be auditor megan you all love her when she fills in for me and jamie will be here and jennifer will be here so tune in tomorrow morning get your ads in to uh get your ads into jennifer at horseradionetwork.com and then next week we'll have no live shows and the following week no live shows but there will be new shows for horses in the morning they'll just be recorded and put out on your podcast feeds by about noontime, but because we're at WEG and Jemmy does not have six computers at her house, she will not be able to produce and put out the Horses in the Morning show live. So they will be recorded. We will have shows for you, so look for them over the next couple of weeks on your podcast feed. And now, Wendy, you can say the magic words. Keep the shiny side up! 